0: Hey guys, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi barakatuhu. So chapter 26 begins with Surah Al-Ahqaf. This Surah begins with Allah declaring that this book is from Allah, the Most Wise, and not from the Prophet peace be upon him. This has to be repeated every time because Allah wants to make it very clear to the disbelievers that the Prophet Muhammad is not the author of this message, he is simply the messenger. Allah explains that Allah has created everything in this universe. Everything down to the atoms have been carefully designed with a specific timeline, meaning eventually everything will come to an end. Allah did not create this world just for nothing. This world was created as a test. The disbelievers would sometimes acknowledge Allah as the creator of the universe. But at the same time, they would still worship other gods thinking that Allah had partners. Allah responds by saying, Show me which part of this world did they create? What part of heaven did your gods create? Bring me a book that came before the Qur'an that proves that these gods exist and that the knowledge that they have. Allah tells the disbelievers that all of you people who worship these false gods will wait until the end of times before you even get a response from these statues because they cannot hear you and they have no power. They are not real. The disbelievers would hear the message and would say, No, this message has to be magic. It can't be real. And at the same time they would say, The Prophet peace be upon him made it up himself. What's ironic is that the people at the time knew that the Prophet Muhammad was uneducated, so it was impossible for him to come up with something like that. The Prophet, peace be upon him, flat out told him, Okay, if I'm lying, then let God punish me then. If I'm making all of this up, then just wait for God to punish me. Allah told the Prophet, peace be upon him, to ask the disbelievers Have you people even imagined what would happen if you were actually wrong? Like, have you ever thought, Man, if we are wrong and the Muslims are right, then we are in huge trouble? Kind of like you leave the house and you don't know if you turn off the stove, a person with common sense will go back and check, because just in case they're wrong, their whole house will burn down. The arrogant person will say, Nah, it's okay, whatever. The disbelievers were arrogant and they wouldn't even give Islam a chance. Their arrogance would go even farther. They would say, Well, if this book was any good, then we would have been the first to accept it. Because they saw how the poor people were the first to accept Islam, so at this point they were embarrassed that, How could those people accept the truth before we did? That makes them look kind of stupid, right? So instead of looking dumb, they said, Nope, this book is just a lie. Of course, dumb poor people will accept it. The people who deny the message are going to be in a lot of trouble. But the true believers who do good and are consistent have nothing to fear. So you notice in this verse Allah says consistent, meaning that's what's the best kind of good deed, the consistent one. The Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him's favorite part of the deen was the action a person does consistently, meaning it doesn't matter how big the action is, just matters if you do it often. For example, a person who donates one big amount once a year and then nothing else compared to a person who donates just a tiny dollar, a penny every day. The person who consistently donated the penny is more beloved to Allah and the Prophet peace be upon him. Say you have a best friend. Would you rather want to talk to them once a year for 5 hours? Or would you rather talk to them every day for just a little bit? Whatever action you do, whether it's reading the Qur'an, giving charity, it doesn't have to be big. Just do it consistently. The Surah then changes topic and Allah tells us how it is farz mandatory for us to be kind to our parents, especially our mothers because of all the hardship they went through carrying us and childbirth. In a Hadith, a Sahaba asked the Prophet, peace be upon him, who is the most important after Allah and the Prophet, peace be upon him. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, replied, your mother. Then after. Your mother, then after that your mother, and after that your father. That should show us how important mothers are. That isn't to say that fathers are not important, no, but we all know the special relationship children have with their mothers since it's usually the mothers who raise the kids. It is our duty to be kind to our parents and to serve our parents and to obey our parents, unless they tell you to do something that is against Islam. Otherwise you are supposed to listen to every command that they give you. You can't even say oof to them, it's forbidden. You must respect them and listen to them, even if your parents are unfair, even if they are non-Muslims, even if they are abusive. Yes, even if they are abusive, you listen to them and Allah will see that you could have easily been bad and raised your voice, but you kept your cool and Allah will greatly reward you for being patient. How serious are these rules when it comes to parents? And then ask yourself, how seriously do we follow these rules? We don't follow them at all. We talk back to our parents, we ignore them, we don't message them back, we complain and argue when they don't listen to us. Yes, difficult parents are a test for us. Bad, abusive parents are a test for us to see will we give in to our emotions or will we follow what Allah has commanded us. Allah says those that are good to their parents, Allah will accept that person's best deeds and ignore all the small bad deeds that they did. Later in the verses, Allah mentions arrogant people again. And how the arrogant people, who are so happy in this world with all their fame and wealth, will be extra humiliated in hell. In the hadith, it's mentioned that anyone that has even an atom's worth of arrogance and pride will be rejected from Jannah. In fact, it is said that arrogant people have an extra special place in Jahannam just for them. The chief of the Quraysh, the disbelievers, was an extremely arrogant man because of all the money and power he had. So Allah mentions the story of Prophet Hud and the people of Ad. This story was mentioned in the earlier surahs, and it was said that the people of Ud were very wealthy and strong and lived in sand dunes on the side of a mountain. Prophet Hud was sent to these people, and their reaction was, Oh, you're here to turn us away from our gods? If you are, then just bring whatever punishment you're trying to scare us with. Just just hurry up with it. Prophet Hud responded by saying, Only Allah knows about when your punishment will come, because I'm just here to give you the message. But I can see how ignorant and arrogant you people are if you're asking for the punishment as a joke. Initially, the people of Hud saw a huge cloud heading towards them and they said, Oh, look, that cloud will bring us rain to our valleys. Little did they know that this wind was going to bring down fire and destroy everything. Usually, there was always bits and pieces left of a nation. But after this punishment, nothing was left. So Allah tells the disbelievers, look, this nation was way stronger and richer than you. And look what happened to them. Their fake gods that they worship, they didn't help them at all. During this time period, the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and his followers were very stressed because not only were the disbelievers attacking the Muslims and making their lives miserable, they were boycotting their businesses, meaning they wouldn't let anyone buy or sell from them, basically forcing the Muslims to not have any money. The surah continues and Allah tells us how one morning the Prophet peace be upon him was praying Fajr and he was reciting out loud when a group of jinns were passing by and were amazed by the message and stopped to listen. They went back to their people and told them about the message, telling the people, we just heard a beautiful message. It was actually the same message that was revealed to Musa. This message is definitely the truth. So you see here, even the jinns can recognize that the message the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu has brought is the same message that has been revealed to all the prophets in the past. So this is where Surah Qaf ends and the chapter continues with Surah Muhammad. So this Surah starts by Allah telling us how all the deeds of the disbelievers who reject the truth and keep others away from the truth, their deeds will go to waste. But those that believe and accept the truth and follow the sunnah, Allah will erase their bad deeds. In the next verse, Allah talks about the rules of war and how the goal should always be to keep war as a last resort. If they attack first and you have to defend yourself, that's the only time it's okay to go to war. At that time, it was common to have war prisoners. It was forbidden to kill war prisoners, and so you could either give them back for ransom, meaning for money, or you could keep them as slaves. And if you forgot Islam's huge explanation of what they actually mean by slavery, it's not the type of slavery we know of today. If you compare it to today's definition of slavery, it's actually not slavery at all. The only reason war prisoners were kept was because it was forbidden to kill them and instead of letting them loose and risk them fighting again, the goal was to allow these war prisoners to live amongst the Muslims to see what Islam was really like. These slaves had to eat the same food on the same table and wear the same clothes as we do. And it was forbidden to even hit them or overwork them. So you see, it's not really slavery at all. It's more like a rehabilitation center. Allah told the Muslims that instead of focusing on capturing war prisoners, First, defeat their army and then worrying about tying up the war prisoners. Don't get distracted by the treasures or the ransom money. Allah tells us that He could have easily allowed the Prophet, peace be upon him and his people, to win the war. But this was supposed to be a test. It's easy to talk about being a believer, but what about your actions? Allah tells us that whatever hardship and trouble you go through for Allah will be rewarded greatly. If you support the deen of Allah, Allah will support you. Allah is always on the side of the believer. The Prophet peace be upon him and his people at the time were forced out of Mecca by the disbelievers and that's when they went to Medina. So obviously the Prophet peace be upon him was a bit sad. So Allah says, O Prophet, these disbelievers think they have won just because they pushed you out. But how many nations stronger than them came and Allah destroyed them too? So just be patient as the same thing will happen to them. Interesting to see here that the Prophet peace be upon him kinda lost and was pushed out of Mecca even though Allah was on his side. But you see that what you might think of as losing isn't actually losing at all because Allah always has a better plan. And Allah's plan for the Prophet peace be upon him was to go to Medina. Same way, if you are doing your best to please Allah and you still feel like you are losing, don't lose hope. Have patience and trust Allah. Allah will never disappoint the true believers. Allah warns us about the hypocrites and that before this surah was revealed, there was no surah sent down about going to war, but the Muslims were ready to fight. But the moment Allah sends down the surah that commands them to fight, then they get scared and they hesitate. Allah then states that if Allah had given them permission to fight earlier, then it would have caused more corruption. Meaning Allah knew that they were not ready for that command because Allah didn't teach them the rules and ethics of war. How not to harm the land or women and children, that capturing war prisoners and taking treasures isn't as important as fighting a fair fight or that war in general should be avoided. Allah wanted the Muslims to learn their lessons slowly before being thrown into battle. Now take us for example. How many times we want to rush into something? We feel like we're ready, but it's not working out. Maybe it's a new job you want to start, a marriage you want to accept, a trip you want to take. Whatever it is, sometimes Allah delays it because Allah knows that you are not ready. Allah knows you haven't learned a specific lesson and Allah knows that if Allah were to give you that thing that you want when you're not ready, you will just ruin it. So just trust Allah. Allah goes back to talking about the hypocrites and how they acted so tough when they were ready to fight, but when the command finally came out, they chickened out. Allah warns about those hypocrites, people who say one thing and then do another, people who act like they are good Muslims on the outside but disobey Allah on the inside without any guilt. Some of those Muslim hypocrites even schemed with the disbelievers. They planned with the disbelievers, the enemies, to help them win because they thought the Muslims were for sure going to lose. So these hypocrite Muslims just wanted to be on the winning side. What are the hypocrites missing? Fear of Allah. So Allah says, do these people not reflect on the Quran at all? The Quran has the answers and guidance to all of our problems and questions. If only they had just reflected on the Quran. Same goes with us. Sinning in private is not the problem. It's acting like you fear Allah publicly and then have no fear and guilt when you're alone. Allah says all the deeds of this person are thrown away and that on the Day of Judgment, the angels will literally beat that person up. What about our fear and guilt when we sin? Many of us sometimes innocently sin and don't feel guilty and tell ourselves, Oh, Allah will forgive me, it's okay. With this type of mentality, you are literally just a few steps away from becoming a hypocrite. Allah tells us that all Muslims will be tested to see who is a true believer and who is a hypocrite. Again, it's very easy to say that we are Muslims, but it's when Allah tests us, when things get hard, that you see people's true colors. You see how much they truly care about following Islam. Again, a Muslim that struggles and fails is not the one who is punished. It's the Muslim that doesn't care about struggling and making an effort and just follows whatever they want, who gets punished. Allah specifically refers to those who are stingy when it Next, Allah specifically refers to those who are stingy when it comes to Allah's blessings. The Muslims who have been given so much, but when it comes time to giving charity or helping others out, they are cheap. And it's not just money that they are stingy with, it can be with your time too. People who get lazy and don't want to make time to go to Friday prayers because they want to have lunch with friends. Or those that don't want to make time for Taraweeh prayers or read a verse from the Quran because they are too tired. Those people are also stingy, but stingy with their time. Muslims should realize that any effort that you make for Allah is never gone to waste. Allah rewards every tiny little effort that you make. Say you walk to the masjid for prayer because your car broke down. Allah will reward you for every step, every sweat, every breath, and every blink. Why? Because Allah is ash shakur one of His 99 names, which means the most appreciative. Whatever effort you make, Allah multiplies it. In today's world, we all want to invest in the best stock or best company or whatever that will turn our one dollar into a thousand dollars, right? And yet we don't realize that the best investment you can make is with Allah, who will turn your penny into a billion dollars. So this is where Surah Muhammad ends and the chapter continues with Surah Al-Fat. So the context of the Surah continues from the previous Surah. The Muslims had been kicked out of Mecca and were living in Medina and the Prophet peace be upon him had a dream that him and his people were performing Umrah in Mecca. Now, as we all know, the dreams that the Prophet Muhammad would have were actually revelations. They were commands by Allah. So the Prophet made the intention to take a group of his people and journey to Mecca to make Umrah. The Prophet peace be upon him and his people did not take any weapons. All they wore was their ihram, their robe for Umrah, and they began their travel. Of course, the mushrikeen, meaning the disbelievers, heard about this and they were like, no way, we kicked the Muslims out. We aren't going to let them back in just to do Umrah. So they had small groups of armies just waiting at different points to stop the Prophet peace be upon him and his people. The disbelievers would send multiple messengers to warn the Prophet peace be upon him. But each time the Prophet peace be upon him was clear that he was not here to fight. Just perform Umrah. That's it. And of course the disbelievers were hoping that they could force the Muslims into fighting so that they can show everyone. Look, the Muslims actually came to fight. They pretended that they wanted to come in peace by dressing in their robes, but they actually came to fight. Eventually, the Prophet peace be upon him and a member of the Quraysh agreed on the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, which basically outlined the terms and conditions for the Muslims. The terms were very unfair, but the Prophet peace be upon him had no choice but to accept it. The terms stated that the Muslims would not be able to perform Umrah this year and that they would have to wait till next year. At the same time, they also agreed to stop the war for 10 years. So that was the context and this is where the surah begins and Allah tells the Prophet peace be upon him that Allah has granted the Muslims victory. Now, just like you must be thinking, the Muslims at that time also said the same thing. How is this a victory? The Muslims can't make Umrah this year. They have to wait till next year. The Prophet peace be upon him responded that of course this is a victory. Look at the bigger picture. Last time we were in Mecca, we were violently kicked out and that when they traveled this time, the disbelievers could have easily destroyed the Muslims, but instead they were persuaded to let the Muslims come back next year. And not only that, but they agreed to stop the war for 10 years. This is a huge lesson for us too. When something bad happens, when we lose, when we feel stuck, when we don't get a job or get a divorce, When we lose a family member or don't get into the university that we want, we think it's the end of the world, that you don't know how you will get out of this problem. But Allah tells us that this trouble that you're in right now, Allah will help you find your way to victory. Again, this goes back to patience and trust in Allah. You have to remind yourself that everything Allah does, Allah does for the best. Only Allah knows when is the best time to have your duas come true. In reality, there is no such thing as failure for a true believer. There is no such thing as losing or bad things happening. Whatever you think is a bad thing, that is Allah simply guiding you and doing what's best for you. Because remember, the difficulty and pain you go through not only wipes away your sins, but also brings you closer to Allah. Trust Allah, have patience, and Allah will bring calmness to your heart. Allah then mentions all the people who avoided traveling to Mecca with the Prophet. The hypocrites at the time were too scared to go and thought that this was a suicide mission. Many would make up excuses to the Prophet saying, Oh, I was so busy taking care of my family and my home and my job. I just couldn't go. And Allah flat out said that when you are called to do something by Allah, you leave everything behind and do it. Do not come up with excuses. How many times do we make up excuses as to why we can't pray at work or school, why we can't go to Taraweeh prayer or read a single verse of the Quran? Again, this goes back to us not making an effort for Allah, us not making a sacrifice on our sleep or our schedule. If you don't make time for Allah, how can you expect Allah will make time for you? Allah knows how difficult it is to find time to pray at work. Allah knows how precious sleep is, which is why the reward for waking up for tahajjat is so huge. Allah says those that don't make time for Allah, Allah gives those people even more problems so that they don't have time at all to do anything else but worry. So if you ever feel like you are too stressed out or you don't have any time to do anything, then this is actually the best time to put everything aside and prioritize Allah. After all, Who else could possibly help you with all your problems and your busy schedule? So this is where Surah al fath ends and the chapter continues with Surah Al-Hujurat. So this Surah begins by Allah giving the Muslims the command to respect the Prophet peace be upon him, that no one should talk back and argue with the Prophet and the message of Allah. Meaning don't come up with your own rules. So like today, if Allah and the Prophet peace be upon him have said something, if Quran and Sunnah have said something, then follow it, do not change what they said. Don't come up with your own rules and interpretations. Don't come up with your own fatwa. In the next verse, Allah talks about spreading rumors and how if a Muslim is told some information, it is their duty to make sure it is true before accepting it as the truth. Allah tells us, don't just assume things about people either. Always give people the benefit of the doubt until you are 100% sure they did something wrong. Believe they are innocent until proven guilty. This verse came down when the Prophet peace be upon him was deciding on giving punishment to a group of people. Basically, a messenger was supposed to collect zakat from a group of people. Instead of taking the long journey, the messenger boy got scared and didn't go. And when he came back, he lied and told the Prophet, peace be upon him, that those people refused to give zakat. Even the Prophet's entire council supported the punishment. The Prophet, peace be upon him, did not take immediate action. He wanted to make sure what the messenger boy said was true before making such a big decision. And luckily, he found out that the messenger boy was lying. And so the Prophet, peace be upon him, stopped himself from making a mistake. How many times do we get important information when it comes to our friends? Someone we're going to marry, maybe someone did something wrong, and we are so quick to believe everything that we hear. That's wrong. We need to find out the truth for ourselves before making such a big mistake. Allah then talks about how it's very important for Muslims to not fight with each other, and that if they do, it is our job to make sure that they make up and make peace with each other. Not only that, But if you see a Muslim doing something bad against someone else, it is your duty as a Muslim to stop that person, even if they are complete strangers. Allah also makes it very clear that we should not make fun of others. Don't embarrass or shame others for their mistakes. How common is that, huh? In today's world, it's normal to make fun of your bestest friend because you don't mean it and it's out of love. But how many times do you go too far and accidentally hurt them? How many times do you say something as a joke and it really ends up hurting them? Or how about when we casually make fun of other people as a joke? Oh, look what she's wearing. Oh my God, who did her makeup? Look how dark that boy is. Oh wow, that guy is such a nerd. All of these things. Not only is it bullying, but it's also backbiting, which is haram in Islam. You're making fun of Allah's creation. If you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. I'm sure you've heard when you gossip about someone, you are literally giving them your good deeds. And even if that information you're saying about someone else is true, it's still haram to mention. If Allah has made that person's sins a secret, who are you to expose that person's sins and secrets? The only time you're allowed to mention a person's sins is if that person is a danger to someone else or society. Otherwise, no mentioning someone else and making them look bad and making people suspicious of that person without any proof and legitimate reason. Allah says it's also not allowed for Muslims to be nosy. So, no spying on other people's business and do not be judgy. Basically, Allah is saying, Mind your own business, don't worry about what other people do, and don't judge them either, that's Allah's job. Allah then tells us, all humans are equal, we all came from Adam and Eve. And yes, Allah did create people in different colors, shapes, sizes, and speak different languages too. Not to create division and racism, but so that we can appreciate others who are different from us. Simply, there is no room for racism or nationalism in Islam. Islam does not care what your skin color is, your family lineage, what country you're from, or anything. It's okay to love your country, but we can all see how nationalism and patriotism and loving your country can get so toxic. This idea that my country is the best country, my country is better than yours, my city is better than yours, Pakistan is better than India, London is better than Paris. No, we are all humans living on earth. That's it. So this is where Surah Al-Hujurat ends and the chapter continues with Surah Qaf. So this surah talks about all the issues the disbelievers had with Islam. They thought that it was so weird that Allah chose someone from their nation to bring such a huge message, someone so normal and average. How come I wasn't brought down by an angel? Allah basically tells them, well, duh, if we sent an outsider from outside of your nation, you people would have had a problem with that, that why is someone from a different nation telling us? Or if the messenger spoke a different language, that why did God send down a messenger who doesn't even speak our own language? You see, no matter what, They would always come up with some dumb excuse. And as we spoke about in the previous chapters, they were also surprised about the whole coming back to life thing, which Allah again tells them, look around you. This whole world, this universe, the oceans and mountains, if Allah can create you and everything else once, of course Allah can do it again. Allah tells them it doesn't really matter if you think it's possible or not, but it's the truth. And if you deny it, you're only hurting yourself. Allah warns them and all of us, you better believe it because when Allah brings everyone back to life, Allah will ask us all about our deeds and there's nothing to hide. Allah knows about every tiny thing. Allah is closer to us than our own jugular vein. Basically meaning that Allah knows about every single tiny thought we have. Allah explains how Allah has one angel sitting on the left side and one angel sitting on the right side. That basically records all of our deeds. So this is where Surah Qaf ends and the chapter continues with Surah Az-Zariyat. This surah has the same theme as the previous surah. Allah says, just how the wind is in Allah's command, just how the rain is under Allah's commands, when and how Allah brings the day of judgment is also in Allah's hands. It will happen whether you believe it or not. And those who want to stay ignorant and arrogant will find out the hard way and be punished. But those who followed Allah's instructions, those that would wake up in the middle of the night to pray the tahajjah and make istighfar and ask for forgiveness at sunrise, and those that were generous in giving to others, those people will be beautifully blessed. You can see here that yet another time Allah has mentioned how precious the Hajjat prayer is and how much Allah loves those that give charity, whether you're giving your time, money, or skills for the sake of Allah. So this is where chapter 26 ends and Surah Az-Zariyat continues in chapter 27.